Our text this morning is from the book of Malachi again, Malachi chapter 2. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 to verse 9. Malachi chapter 2 verse 1 to 9. And now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen... And if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already, because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him, that is Levi, was one of life and peace, and I give them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way, you have caused many to stumble by the instruction, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. In our modern and our pressured lifestyle today, we've got so many people who now have so many phobias. And I don't want to make light of these phobias, because there are people who are generally suffering from a fear of quite a lot of things today. It's just the result of our lifestyle. But some really stood out to me and I just want to share some with you and maybe you'll know these. We'll put them up there and maybe you can try and think what they might be. Alliumphobia. Anyone like to know what that one is? Alliumphobia is the fear of garlic. And I couldn't find one which is the fear of someone who's eaten garlic. Probably stinkophobia. But alliumphobia. Arachibatirophobia. Now that's not a spider that's fallen into butter. No. This is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of the mouth. Can you believe it? Anyway. Ataxophobia. This one is the one that all teens suffer from. The fear of disorder or untidiness. Is that right, mothers? And here is one that all parents suffer from. It's called aphebophobia. The fear of teenagers. Politicophobia is one we should all fear. The fear of politicians. And one I hope you don't fear from this morning is homilophobia. The fear of sermons. However, on a more serious note, there's one fear that many Christians have. 
and it's this one my fellow my fellow man phobia the fear of what others will think and there's another fear which too few Christians have and that's this one deo reverendo phobia you won't find that one in the book I made it up and that's a healthy and an obedient awe or a worship fear of Almighty God. And I wish more of us believers had that one. You see, your view of God will directly affect your worldview, the way you see the world around you, and it will directly affect your obedience to the law of God. If you see God as a small God, then people's opinion and their supports and what they think of you will be very, very important to you and people will be big in your estimation. And obedience to God's demands will diminish in importance. That is, if you see God as a small God. And this is exactly what these priests in Malachi that we've been reading about in chapter 1 were guilty of. They were guilty of this very sin of having a small view of God. Of not having a worship fear of the Lord. And we call it all of God. Of having too small a view of God. And, and this led directly to their disobedience of God's very clear instructions of them. Of how they were to come and worship before the Lord. What they were allowed into the temple to worship the Lord through their offerings and their sacrifice. And when the, the priests became disobedient, very soon the people followed. And chapter 1 ends, as we saw last week, with God's indictment of His appointed leaders and of His judgment of them. And this morning, I'm afraid it's cod liver oil again, but there is honey, okay? But it's cod liver oil because we're going to look at God's judgment on these priests. What was the judgment God was going to bring on them? He describes this judgment in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Have a look at it in your text. Follow through with me. You see, this judgment was directed specifically to the priests, says the Lord in chapter 2 verse 1. This commandment is for you, O priests. Even though the Lord indicts the people as well, the judgment is on the priests specifically. This commandment is for you. That word there is a specific Hebrew word, the Hebrew word mitzvah, which was not just the same commandment as here is a commandment, I wish you to obey this commandment. That word meant that this, this commandment was a command which God would personally resolve Himself. He would make it come about. And so God says, you priests, I am going to judge you and I will make this come about by myself. My mitzvah against you. This is a personal command against you. And look at this, the next two words. If you. That's always very amazing, you know. There's God's mercy displayed to them right in the middle of a judgment statement. If you are obedient to me, if you give me the honor due, says the Lord, then I will relent. But the time is running out, says the Lord. Because I've already started this judgment against you. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. So you'd better hurry up, priests. You'd better come in obedience before me and listen to me. There is still a chance for you because my judgment against you has already started, says the Lord. What is this judgment 
that the Lord is bringing against these priests. He describes it there for them. He says, I will send the curse against you. Literally, the Hebrew says, I will hurl it. I will let it loose against you. Once this curse is activated against you, says the Lord, it is irreversible because it is a mitzvah against you. It is a command which I will bring about. What was this curse? It's very interesting. He says, I will curse what? Your blessings. And the Hebrew word for your blessings, the Lord is saying, I will curse each particular blessing that you bless the people with when you raise your hand and you bless the people. Every single blessing that you send out against them, I will reverse. I will make your blessings ineffective, says the Lord. So that's going to affect the priests and it will affect the people. But also, I will also curse the blessings that come on you from the people. All those blessings you receive from the people, those gifts, I will reverse them against you too. There's a good example of this back in Exodus chapter 16 where the people were in the desert and God was giving them, God was providing for them every day. And how did He provide for the people food-wise when they were in the desert? He provided manna for them. And what were His clear instructions to them? He said, I want you to collect enough manna for only every day's use. Except on the day before the Sabbath, you are to collect double. Enough for that day and the next. So what did some people do? Some were obedient, and it was great. But others gathered as much as they could, because here they are in the middle of the desert, and they thought, well, we'd better collect for ourselves, because God might not provide tomorrow. So they, so they collected as much as they could. And what happened to that manna? The Bible says it became infested with worms and it stank. Now that's exactly what God is saying here. I will reverse the blessing on you. I will make it literally stink in your nostrils. Turn with me, if you would, to an interesting passage in Haggai. Now, for those of you not sure where Haggai is, it's two books back from Malachi. Okay, I'm helping you a bit. Haggai chapter 1. This is a great example of the Lord reversing blessings on people. Haggai chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 5 to 7. Now note the words used here, the titles for the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Once again, we've heard that one, haven't we, in Malachi? The Lord of the armies. Thus says the, the Almighty God, the Lord of hosts. What does he say? Consider your ways. Look at how you live in front of me. Why? Look at the reversal of blessing now. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You remain thirsty. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, you might go with this one. He who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, and he repeats that again. Consider your ways. So it's couched in between those two statements. So what is it all about? The Lord is saying, if you don't live the way you should be before me, I will reverse my blessings on you. Very interesting, isn't it? And so the Lord says to these priests, I will curse your blessings, every single one of them. 
He carries on, he says, I will rebuke your offspring. Literally, I will rebuke your seed. And the Hebrew here has a double meaning. It's, it, he's saying here, I will rebuke your, your harvest. Your harvest which you bring in through the people will be poor. And therefore the income coming into the temple will be less. And therefore you priests, what you receive will be less too. But, says the Lord, I will also rebuke your offspring, your number of descendants, says the Lord. Not just those who can support the work of the temple, but also those who are available to serve in the temple. I will rebuke them too. So I will rebuke your offspring, says the Lord. And then the most horrific one to these priests. The Lord says, I will spread refuse or offal. And the literal word here is dung. I will spread dung on your faces, says the Lord. So why was that such a great thing? You see, when these animals were sacrificed, before they were sacrificed, the guts and everything were taken out. And mixed with that, of course, was the animal's dung. And that was usually removed and burnt and then chucked out of the city because it was unclean before the Lord. And so the Lord says to them, Hear me, says the Lord of hosts. Instead of the shoulder and the cheeks and the stomach cuts, which you usually get the best portions set aside for the priests, says the Lord, you priests, you will be made ceremonially unclean and you'll be made unfit to serve me in the temple. Now remember the priests of Levi, that was all job they had, was to serve in the temple. And so they wouldn't be able to do that anymore. The Lord says, I will spread dung on your faces. Your faces which are supposed to be turned up to me in prayer. Those same faces will now be defiled because of sin, says the Lord. And now, you priests, you will only be fit to be removed out of the city and out of the temple and together with your sacrifices, the refuse of your feasts, the Lord calls it, you will be removed and put outside of the city, away from my presence. And, says the Lord, I will do this publicly for everyone to see because you did the same to me. You despised me publicly as well before the people. And so the, the priests would be shamed and they would be unable to fulfill their task anymore. And then carries, the Lord carries on, he says, and then you will know, and that word know is the word for acknowledge, and then you will acknowledge, you will bow the knee that I have sent this, this deliberate mitzvah against you, this commandment against you, says the Lord. You will know in that day that it's me that's done this. Why? Why does God do all this? Well, believe it or not, it's so that they can have hope as a nation. God says, I'm bringing this about so that my covenant may continue with Levi. You see, this judgment which the Lord is bringing against the priests was meant to lead to repentance and to restoration. And that's always God's purpose when He brings judgment and when He brings discipline on His people. It is to bring it is to lead to repentance and to bring restoration. But God says, I have chosen you priests and I will take you out of the way as I did previously in your history. I will remove you from my presence so that, the, so that this covenant I have with Levi will stand, says the Lord. I will take you priests out of the way. You see, God will never break his covenant. God will never break his word to his people. But he asserts he will take people out of the way when they get in the way. But his covenant will stand. And so God, what he does next is he gives them an example of a faithful priest. And if you want to see that, 
it's to be found in verses 5 to 7. This is what a faithful priest looks like, says the Lord. And this is where we, you and I can stop this morning and we can assess ourselves against this picture. Because if there are any of us who preach the word, who teach the word, whether it's to congregation, whether it's as teachers in the Sunday school, whether it is as parents to our children, this applies to us now as well. This is the priest, this is the minister of the Lord, the one that he sees as faithful. What does this person look like? Firstly, says the Lord, this person has a reverence for God. He has a proper relationship with God. He has a fear of God. He stands in awe of God. He knows that God is God and He is only man. Do you have a fear of the Lord this morning? Secondly, says the Lord, this person is true instruction was in his mouth. Unrighteousness was not found on his lips. Verse 6. In other words, they've got a commitment to God's word. You see, the priest's duty in the temple was to speak the truth. Literally, they had to speak the Torah, the law, the God's divine instructions to the people. And they had to do so faithfully. They had to speak the whole truth, nothing but the truth, with the help of God. But left to themselves, what would they do? They only spoke error. Or at best, they only spoke truth mixed with error. And so they were reliant on God. But God wanted them to be committed to His Torah, His Word. And you know, today the same applies to us. God helps us too to proclaim what is eternally truthful. Not just for today, not just for a certain moment in history, but for all time and for all people. God has to help us to do that because if He doesn't, we will speak truth mixed with error. We are just fallible human beings. But God demands a personal commitment from this person, this minister, this priest before Him. A personal commitment to the truth of His Word and to proclaiming only the truth. He doesn't want man's wisdom. He doesn't want man's stories. And I'm going to stop here just for a little while and I want to express a concern that I have that I've been seeing in our own denomination of Baptists. More and more we are seeing man's wisdom coming up. We are, we are getting this instruction from those higher up that we are to hear the stories of the people. And more and more it's the stories and not God's word that is being proclaimed. And I'm really concerned for that. And I've written away to them, I'm really concerned what is happening. We need to take note that this doesn't take root in this church. We are not to tell the stories. Yes, we can say what God has been doing in our lives, but when we come to God's Word, it has a separate, it has a special place. We listen to it, it is authoritative. We align our lives by God's Word. And so God wants that in His ministry, a commitment to His Word. Thirdly, God wants personal holiness, verse 6. He says, Levi walked with me in peace and uprightness. He walked with me. Immediately when you hear that, which person do you think of in the Bible? Enoch. It's stated in Scripture, Enoch walked with God. What's God going to say about your life and my life one day? Calvin walked with God? I pray that he says that. You see, as ministers, as priests before the Lord, godliness is what we are to pray for. That is our main prayer. 
And we are to ask our people to pray that God would put that godliness in us as well. That is, if you want to pray for us as ministers, as preachers, as elders in this church, pray that God would make us godly men. That is the prayer. You see, we are to show theology in practice, not just in our heads. Fourthly, God says, Levi turned many back from iniquity. In other words, he was outward looking. He saw the people's needs. He turned many back from iniquity, not just by the words he spoke, but by his godly example. Those initial priests that we read about, that stood with Moses when the golden calf was created, they each man had to strap his sword to his side and then he had to take it out and he had to act against his neighbor, his friends, his family members who had been sinful. That must have been extremely hard. But they knew why they were doing it. Because they feared God more than man. And so when we go out and we see people around us, we need to see people with a heart, with hearts that are lost. We need to know that the only way they can come into a right, right relationship with God again is to point them to that greater commandment, to point them to the Messiah, to point them to the fulfillment of that covenant when Jesus Christ came and made a way back to God. That is the only way men will be saved. There is no other. And so when we see lost men around us, we have to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ and we have to do so without fear and without shame. It is the only way in which they will be made right with God. It is the only way where they can also come into a new covenant with Almighty God. And fifthly, the Lord says, these true priests of mine preserve knowledge. You see, these priests were not to be just conveyors of information. They weren't just to convey facts, interesting bits of history, interesting intricate bits of theology, or quotes from the giants of church history. No, they had to proclaim salvation. That was the specific content that they had to preach. Salvation and how to be saved. How to live God-pleasing lives. Why? God says, he carries on, he says, these men should seek instruction from his mouth. You see, these men had to recognize that the authority of God was in these ministers, in these priests. And that is why they had to listen. And if there was no authority in them, then they rather had to stop what they were doing. And you know, it doesn't change today either. There are many ministers who are in the pulpit who should vacate because they do not have the authority of God to be there. They are just filling a pulpit. They need to get out. They need to vacate those pulpits. And he carries on, he says, Levi, he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You see, when these priests came before the people, it was presumed that they had spent time with God. And so what they were bringing to the people was the message of God. And so true today for us too, that those of us who bring God's word need to spend time with the Lord. Because otherwise we might be bringing a message which is not of the Lord, it is of us. And that is my greatest fear, Sunday by Sunday, that the message I bring here will not be a message from the Lord, it will be from me. You need to pray for us every single Sunday that the person who stands here has spent time with the Lord so that you can hear from him. And here too is stress the importance of bringing God's word to the people. And I want to quote to you from Martin Luther. Listen to what he said. I'm going to quote directly. 
He says, certainly, God could with his spirit instruct and justify those whom he would, but it has pleased his wisdom more to instruct and justify those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. And some would say it is foolishness, but God has chosen to use this instrument of preaching. You see, the word, God's word, is the channel through which the Holy Spirit is given. As we read God's word, the Holy Spirit takes it and he changes it into truth in us. This specific passage, says Martin Luther, and he's commenting on this passage in Malachi. This passage is against those who hold the spoken word in contempt, and that happens all over today. Unless the word is preached publicly, it slips away. The more it is preached, the more firmly it is retained. Reading it is not as profitable as hearing it, says Martin Luther, for the live voice teaches, exhorts, defends, and resists the spirit of error. And listen to this. He says, Satan does not care a hoot for the written word of God. Satan even quoted God's word against Christ. He doesn't care for God's word. But Satan flees at the speaking of the word. This penetrates hearts and leads back those who stray. Bit of a lengthy quote, but he makes the point. It is God's word proclaimed faithfully that changes hearts. And that is why the Apostle Paul says to Timothy... In 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. Whether people want to hear it or not, preach the word. It is the word that changes hearts. And then Malachi, in verses 8 and 9, returns to the realities of his own time. And he traces the priests' decline from their high calling to where they are now. And as we saw last week, he says, failure started in their personal lives. As I said last week, it started in the slow phase. When they turned aside from the way, says our text. And it's interesting that that phrase, the way, is used already back here in the Old Testament. They turned aside from the way. In other words, holiness and godliness is not just a religion. What I do on Sundays but it is a total commitment to a way of life. It's a way of life before the Lord. It is not keeping to little tick box rules. It is a way of life. But, says Malachi, you priests, your ministry has suffered because you left the way of life. Now your ministry suffered and now the people will suffer. Why? Because you are turning men away from Instead of turning men away from wrong, you are causing many to stumble, says our text. This is not just by your wrong example, he says, but you are also giving them the wrong instruction. You see, what these priests were doing, they were misinterpreting the word, the Torah, to the people. They were adding their own rules, like the Pharisees did in the New Testament. These priests were bringing their own sinful rules and telling the people, you must do this, you must do that. Don't don't worry about not bringing specific um, animals, bring any old animal and we will sort it out here at the temple. They were adding to the rules, their own sinful rules, instead of teaching the people to live in a right way before God. You see, they were misinterpreting God before the people. They were causing others to stumble and to miss the way, God's way of life. You know, Jesus spoke out so sternly against this. In Matthew Chapter 18, verses 5 to 6. You don't need to turn there now. But he said, and he took a child himself, and and he was talking about, because they were talking about greatness, and he said, you need to become like this child before me. 
But woe to him who misguides one of these children, one of these who are humble in heart. It would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and to be cast into the sea. This was exactly the same thing Jesus was saying. They were making people stumble by using the law. And so says Malachi, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi. You have morally destroyed it. You have violated it, says Malachi. And judgment will fall on you priests, but God's covenant will stand. And then in verse 9, he ends this part of this judgment against the priests and he said, I have made you despised. Literally, I have rejected you. And I have abased you. In other words, I have brought you low. I have humiliated you before all the people, says the Lord. Because you showed partiality in instruction. You see, what these priests were doing as well, they were, when a rich man came to, the, to them, they would interpret God's law in a certain way to suit the rich man. But the same law was being twisted for someone who didn't have as much money and they were being told something else. God says, you have twisted my law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. You show partiality in instruction. And you know, people can pick up God, uh, ungodliness so quickly, especially in the life of a believer. When people look at believers, when the world looks at you and I as believers and they see in us that we are not living according to God's ways, they will very quickly point it out to you and I. They know. And it's sad that they see it in us. The people saw it in these priests and the people turned away from the temple and the people left the way and they went their own way. And God brings judgment. How do we apply this to us now in the year 2011? You see, if we as teachers or preachers who bring God's word, if we fail to declare God's message of sin and salvation faithfully because we fear human beings more than we fear the living God, then we are guilty of this very same offense as the priests of Malachi's day. How do we do that as pastors, as preachers? When I have a text in front of me and it starts saying, saying something and I know it's going to offend people out there, what are we tempted to do? We are tempted to downplay the force of what the passage is saying so that the people will only hear what they want to hear. And sometimes preachers do that for fear of offending some of their hearers because some of their hearers might be influential people in the community. They might even be the ones who have big checkbooks in the church. They might even be close personal friends and so they will downplay the force of the text. The Lord says you are, you are grieving me because you are downplaying the word. It's not as important to you as it should be. Alternatively, there's another way. You see, we can only be, sometimes as pastors, be willing to confront those who we know they can't actually do much to us or they haven't got much influence in the church. And so, I will confront them about their sin. But those in my friends that I see, and I see obvious sin in their lives, I'd rather leave them alone because we're friends. And we sometimes do that. The Lord says, no, you can't show partiality either. And that's been shown over and over again in modern day history as people have shown partiality, leadership in churches. And what has happened to that leadership? It has fallen. You see, we need to be consistent in our faithfulness, says the Lord. And that applies to you and I if we are parents in our home as well with our children. 
We have to be consistent in our faithfulness with God's Word before our kids too. We are not to excuse sin in one and let it go in another. We are to be consistent as we apply God's Word in our kids' lives too. Thirdly, we need to see the good news of this passage. You see, God and His promises remain unchanging. God said, this covenant will not fail. I will get rid of the people, but the covenant will stand. Israel needed a perfect priest, but could the priest do this? No, they failed. Levitical priesthood could not attain what was asked of them. And that was the reason why the new covenant had to come. That was why the great high priest, Jesus Christ, the perfect high priest, the one who was a just lawgiver, had to come. And so the Levitical priesthood ended and Jesus Christ, the perfect priest, came. And he brought with him a covenant of life and peace. And that covenant of life and peace still remains to this day. You see, life and peace came to us through Jesus' suffering and through his death. And shortly we're going to be remembering what Christ did on the cross. And blessing comes to us too through Jesus Christ drinking this cup of God's anger and the, and the wrath of God and his carrying our curse. That is why we can be blessed by the Lord. Christ died so that we might live. Is that still a truth in your life this morning? It's only as we ponder this awesome reality of the gospel and what Jesus Christ did as the perfect high priest, this undeserved favor that was shown to you and I at the cross, this, this fact that God removed the dung and the offal of sin from our faces so that when we lift our eyes and our faces in prayer before the Lord, it can be because we have been forgiven. It's only when we ponder these awesome realities that the source of the power that we need to, re- that we find the source of the power we need to recover from our fear of man. You see, if we do not see the power of the cross in its context, and we do not realize what God has done for us and what He did on the cross, then we will fear man. He will always be there, and He will be a force that we've got to consider. You see, what does the gospel say about man? The gospel says that no man, no matter how evil is beyond the help and the power of the gospel. And no man, however important, can be above the claims of the gospel. So why should we fear man? We should fear God. And we should bring the gospel to man because it will fulfill what God has planned for mankind. Jesus Christ came to make a way to the Father. And that is the message we take out. And as priests, as preachers, as Parents in our homes, we need to fulfill our callings as messengers of the gospel. We need to, be f- to do this fearlessly and accurately. We, we are not to twist God's word to suit our purposes. We are to bring God's word, the gospel message, and tell our children about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and not tell them it's okay if it's only a, a small sin. We have to tell them what sin is in the face of God. We have to teach our children the Torah, the principles of a way of life before God. And even from a very small age, we are not to try and teach them that Christianity is all about keeping rules. No, it's about living a way of life before the Lord. And we have to do that for how long? Until Jesus Christ takes us home or He comes. We have to be faithful. 
And so the, the prayer on my heart for, for myself, for our elders here and for all of you is that we would be faithful to the Lord and His Gospel. That He would give us a worship fear of Him. That we would not be scared of human beings but that we would be reminded that He is Almighty God, that we are fallible human beings. He's given us a task to do, and that is to live the way before Him. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. And thank You, Lord, that through the examples You've left us in Your Word, You teach us how we are to live before you and the lifestyles that you reject before you. Lord, thank you for the reminder this morning that you want people who are not religious, but you want a people who live in the right way before you through the principles given to us in your word. Your word which casts light on our, on our ways. And Lord, the prayer from our hearts this morning is that you would allow us to live faithful lives before you. So that the world may see and know that you are almighty. You are indeed the Lord of hosts, God almighty. And Lord, Help us too to live lives which give you the reverence due to you. May we have a healthy worship fear of you. To know that you are God. That we are your creations. Because Lord, so quickly, our hearts want to change that and make us number one. Relegate you to the back parts of our lives. Lord, may you be at the forefront of our minds, so that when we live lives, it will be to show that you are great. The world will see and know. And so, Lord, thank you for this time. Amen.